Well, good morning all. Um, so we've got uh, our readings this morning are from uh, Mark chapter 14. We'll be reading verses 27 to 31 initially and then we skip over to 66 uh, to 72. Uh, This is titled, Jesus again predicts Peter's denial. So from verse 27, Jesus says, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourselves will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So now we're going to read from verse 66 and uh, the setting now is at Caiaphas' house. And uh, uh, so, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant gifts of the high priest came by. One of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow was one of them. Again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. When Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. He broke down and wept. Thanks, Reg. Uh, I won't have anything up behind me today, so I encourage you to get your Bibles out uh, and follow and see if what I'm saying is actually true. That's probably helpful. Uh, Hopefully it is. Um, I'm pretty sure it is, but, you know, it's good to have people double-checking. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that as we open your word, we come confidently uh, to it. We come knowing that there is great purpose, great power, and great promise that exists in every word. And so, Father God, we pray now that as we open this word and consider Peter and all the disciples uh, in this hour, the darkest hour of Jesus' need, we pray, Lord, that we will be convicted, we will be humbled. We pray, Lord, that we'll go out of here 
with greater faith and greater humility. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the Washington Post website, they have an article uh, called Truth or Denial. So the premise of the article is that the denial of truth is on the rise. Uh, They list a number of things, ironically, half of them I don't agree with, uh, but I deny. Uh, But they list a number of things, they say all the evidence points to a position of what they would say truth, yet people continue to deny it. Now, there's one that I think they are right. Uh, There is still an enormous amount of people who deny the earth is round. I don't know if you've come across them. Maybe you are one of them. I'm sorry for insulting you this morning. Uh, And they say that the earth is flat. Uh, And in that article, they quote Paul Applebaum, who was the former head of the American Psychiatric Association. And he, um, he decides to define what denial is. And he says this, he says, it's the deliberate, often psychologically motivated neglect of information that would be too upsetting or anxiety-provoking to allow into one's belief system. See, it's it's a way really for people to make things make sense for themselves so that they don't have anxiety and stress about their belief systems. Uh, He uses the example, if you love a good steak, you might find a way to dismiss the idea that animals can feel pain. Apparently psychologists call it the meat paradox. Now, I don't agree that that's the only reason uh, that would keep you or get you to eat meat. Uh, I think some of their premises are flawed. But I uh, I think the definition of denial there is very important. See, often that denial is applied to the truth and reality about ourselves, who we are, what are our capabilities and our capacities, am I inherently good or inherently a sinner? These are the very core of what human existence is and the existential problems that we need to grapple with and which the Bible seeks to address. See, how do you view yourself and your capacity as a follower of Jesus? What are you capable of and what should you expect of yourself when you're following him? Because how we view ourselves will have a great impact on how we follow him. Does your spiritual life reflect a belief that sees yourself as inherently strong and capable and able to withstand all the temptations and trials of the evil one? Or does your life reflect a more sobering view of yourself? So this morning, the 12 disciples, it's, I, I really dislike that heading. It's not about Peter. It's about all the disciples, but Peter's the main character. Uh, those who have walked with Jesus for three years, they've seen his ministry, they've learned from his teaching, they've witnessed him doing all sorts of miraculous and wonderful things, they're now confronted with the depth of their own denial about who they truly are. And as we contemplate that denial this morning, it should raise for us some sobering questions about the denial that we have around who we are. See, Jesus has just shared the Passover with these 12. And as he does that, He points to his own death as being the once and for all sacrifice 
which the Passover was always meant to achieve. So now he is the Passover lamb, and when he dies on the cross, we no longer have to remember the Passover and sacrifice lambs year after year because he is the once and for all sacrifice. And in place of the Passover remembrance and, and, and uh, looking forward to the coming Messiah, he instigates a new uh, covenant, if you like, a covenant in his blood, a covenant in his body. And he feeds the bread and the wine and he says, this is the new covenant. Uh, this, this bread, this is my body, take and eat in remembrance of me. This is my blood, take and eat in remembrance of me. You see, he has shed once and for all as the great Passover lamb. Jesus has washed their feet at this meal. And then we're told they sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives in verse 26. See, he was heading to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would feel the weight of everything that was about to unfold on the cross. And he says to his disciples in verse 34 as he enters the, the garden, and we'll look at this more next week, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. See, what's important for us to remember and see here is that Jesus is entering his darkest hour. He is now approaching the time when the sin of the world would be poured out upon him. And he is in anguish, literal anguish. And who are you going to turn to in that time of your darkest hour? Those who are closest to you, the twelve. And as they arrive, we're told, at the Mount of Olives in verse 27, Jesus says something quite remarkable, and he confronts his disciples. He says this, he says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now Jesus is referring to Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7. And the imagery goes back to this idea of shepherd and sheep. See, the problem with sheep are they are vulnerable. They have no protection. They are not good fighters. They are not going to uh, put up a stand against anyone who come, or anything that comes after them. They need someone to protect them and they are willing to follow a shepherd that is going to protect them. As long as their lives are not at risk, they will follow that shepherd. But if that shepherd is attacked and killed... They will flee for their lives. They are not going to stand by their dead shepherd to try to fight his good cause. No, he's gone. That means they need a new shepherd and they are out of there. See, what will happen when following that shepherd is suddenly a threat to your own life will come. What will happen when the bear comes, when the evil one comes, when the persecu persecution comes? Zechariah saw that it would mean the 12 disciples of the good shepherd will allow their instincts as sheep to overtake them. They love their shepherd. But no way were they going to walk the path to death with him when the fear came. See, Jesus knew they would desert him just as it was prophesied. Despite teaching them, take up their cross to follow him, they would not stand firm. But what's confronting here, this was all foretold by God. It was all in the Old Testament. 
Because all that is about to unfold is at the hands of the sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God who is in control. But the disciples here are living in denial. So we think, oh, it's Peter's denial in the latter part when he denies Christ. Well, I think the denial goes beyond that. See, this is, this is the disciples are living in denial about who they truly are. They don't understand the depths of the reality of their capacity to follow Jesus. They're in denial that their own capacity to stand firm is maybe not what they think it is. And so in verse 29, we have Peter declaring, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said exactly the same thing. See, one of the fundamental truths that we deny about ourselves is that we are not in control and we are not as strong as we believe that we truly are. See, if we accept how fragile, how fickle and how weak we can be, just like a sheep when a wolf comes and attacks the shepherd, we are in danger of the truth being too upsetting or anxiety-provoking to allow uh, to allow into one's belief system. So we scatter. We deny. So the problem with embracing the extent of our sinful nature, as is revealed here in the disciples, the fact that we're prone to wander, prone to deny, prone to avoid the consequences of our faith, that perhaps in and of ourselves we aren't able to bring glory to God, is that it calls us to surrender to one who does have the faithfulness, does have the capacity, and does enable us through the Holy Spirit to do that. And surrendering is not something that we are very good at. See, not one person here who had walked with Jesus for three years of his ministry stood by him. They all deserted him. In fact, one of them already sold him out and was looking at it for a way to hand him over so he could be killed. Why on earth do we believe that we have the capacity to be able to walk a strong, faithful life in our own, in our own strength when those who walked with him for three years couldn't do it? This is at the heart of living out an authentic faith. When we don't deny the truth of who we are, but we embrace the reality of our fallenness, knowing that the one we will sin against, and trust me, you will sin against God again and again. I know that sounds very demoralizing. It's not exactly the victory cry yet, yet. But see, unless you are able to surrender to the one who you will sin against and who will never leave you nor forsake you, 
See, unless you're able to fall at the foot of the cross daily in repentance and faith, you will never understand the true power of this faith that you profess. We live in denial about our capacity to reject and disown Jesus when the consequences can't become real. See, would you still follow him if it meant you were going to lose everything? What if your life was threatened for your faith? What do you think you would re- how do you think you would really respond? See, if you haven't fully surrendered everything to him, you will try to hold on to it as much as you can and that will have a great impact on your response when the threat comes. Will you stand up and go, I will never disown you, Jesus, yet you've never really surrendered everything to him. So the words don't really mean anything. Well, it doesn't take long here for the weaknesses of the disciples to show. And we're going to have a look at the Garden of Gethsemane next week and we're going to look at Jesus being arrested the week after that. But if you just have a look there, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they go in, all he says is, sit here while I pray. He tells them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Come on, my closest ones, please just stay awake. Yes, you're tired, but I'm in anguish and they are coming for me. Oh no, but they fall asleep. Simon, are you asleep? He goes back to his original name. And you know what Simon means in the Greek? Shaky. You know what Peter means? Rock. He says, shaky, that is your faith. You think you are Peter the rock, but in fact, you are shaky. Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? And it happens again. See, it doesn't take long before we see how shaky this faith is. And after Jesus was arrested unjustly, tried before the Jewish Sanhedrin, and after he'd been spat upon, struck with fists, mocked, beaten and scorned, we are told in verse 66, Peter is confronted by one of the servant girls of the high priest. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said to Peter. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. I want you to notice that is a lie. That is not just denial, that is a lie. We are going back to the Ten Commandments now. Denying the truth means embracing a lie because it would be too upsetting or anxiety-provoking to allow into one's belief system. Peter knew what the consequence would be. So the second time the servant girl announces it publicly, this fellow is one of them, verse 69. Again, he denies it. And now others are standing there, noticing he's a Galilean. Surely you are one of them. The pressure is ramping up on him so much that the flight or fight uh, mentality is settling in. He is filled with fear, the fear of death, the fear of persecution, the fear 
which is now exposing the true essence of what this strength is. I don't know this man you're talking about. I don't know this man you're talking about. The beloved Peter, who declared boldly back in chapter 8, you are the Messiah, the one who just hours before, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, has just disowned Jesus three times. The rooster crows and he breaks down and weeps. See, the denial of Jesus leads to distress. When you have given your life for the one who has given his life for you, Denying him is at its essence a denial of who you are. See, the denial that's going on in here is all about the self. The disciples have denied the depth of their sin, but now they're denying the depth of their salvation and who Jesus is. Peter is unravelling everything he's affirmed with his mouth. I will never disown you. You are the Messiah. I will never disown you. You are the Messiah. But now he's saying quite the opposite. He's disowning him and he's saying, I don't know this man. Won't even speak his name. Peter, the rock on which the church will be built, was powerless without accepting the reality of who he was. See, when you have given your life for the one who has given his life for you, you have to do that with an understanding of the self and why he has done that. And when we deny him, which we all will at some point in our faith, when we think we will stand strong and we break and we know we have sinned directly against him, Well, maybe that's just the moment that's going to be the strengthening of your relationship with him. See, Peter is one of the the founding fathers and always will be of the church movement. But here he is, disgraced. And then he weeps and weeps. He breaks down. He has not only denied the Christ, he's denied who he is and now he's left with nothing. But the true power of this passage lies back in verse 28, which I skipped over. And in verse 28, Jesus, after saying they will all fall away, says this, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Think about that. He's promised that they are all going to fall away. But in the next breath, he is effectively saying, but I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will go ahead of you into Galilee. I still expect you to be following me after you have fallen away. But after I have risen. 
See, what a gracious, compassionate Lord, slow to anger and abounding in love. Despite the reality of who we are, he will never leave us nor forsake us, no matter what we do in his name. See, the resurrection, Jesus is saying, is the defining moment in his relationship with his disciples. It is not how you respond to Jesus. It is not what you do. It is not whether you're strong enough or whether you're able to stand firm. It is because he has been raised from the dead that every power that comes in that resurrected moment, the power, as it says, that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that now resides in you, in the Holy Spirit, because it is the whole, God, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead. That is why we are powerful, because of God in us, not because of ourselves. And until we can fall at our feet, at the feet of Jesus and recognize the darkness and the the weakness and the inability for us to stand firm and surrender everything. I surrender all to you, Jesus. Until we are able to do that, we will never know the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit that comes at Pentecost to pour into us in order for us to be able to have the change that Peter has. See, in our essence, yes, we are of the flesh. We are sinners. But through the resurrection, every promise of Jesus, every work of Jesus was vindicated, was held firm. And so that means the promises of God have their yes, as Hebrews says, every promise in his death and resurrection. Because the moment Jesus was raised is the moment we can go, it is true. He is who he says he is. I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to live as a stoic saying, I will never deny you, Jesus. I can go, Lord, this is my life. This is who I am. This is the brokenness, the heartache, the darkness. This is the stuff. This is that putrid, wretched, stinking mess That is all that makes me up. It's yours. I surrender. I can't. I can't do this anymore. And the moment you hand that life over is the moment that the power of God will fully be able to work in your life. Because when you embrace this, uh, this power, you will come face to face with the fear of death, with persecution, with the loss of everything, and you say, it is not mine. And with Paul, you'll be able to say, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, because your eyes aren't fixed on this world, your eyes are fixed on the next and you surrender everything and you walk a path as a sinner, forgiven, set free and now with the Holy Spirit to live that life victoriously. Not going around thinking you're doing it on your own stead. But as Paul says in Ephesians 2, so that you may not boast 
in anything. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. It is a gift. And it is in that gift that we walk and we live and we breathe. And even in your darkest hour, you know that the disciple... isn't the one that you follow. It is the Saviour, the risen Lord. And so he will never leave you nor nor forsake you, even if you have to him. See, it's a very confronting passage, this. Peter and Paul are the two pillars of our church in many respects, the apostles on which it is built. And look at them. What a mess. But you see, Peter isn't a pillar on the church because he was someone of himself strong. We can see he's a blubbering mess. He's weeping. He's broken. No, it's because he had his life handed over to the Saviour. And so he goes on to preach powerfully, to profess powerfully, to proclaim powerfully, and to live a life that builds the church powerfully. And the history, the, it's, whether it's true or not, we don't have anything, but they say he refused to be crucified the right way up because that would be a disgrace because that's how his Lord was. So he was crucified upside down. I'm not saying that's fact, but isn't that a wonderful thought? Are you living in denial? Have you surrendered everything into the hands of the one who is strong? Have you surrendered your sinful life and asked for forgiveness? And are you daily walking in great freedom because you are living a life of repentance, turning away from your sin and towards Christ and a life of faith? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge that we are not the people we were designed to be. But praise be to you, Father, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, you have set us free from sin and death. Father God, as as we're told in Galatians 5, please help us to know that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Father God, help us not to move back into a slavery of thinking that we can and of ourselves have strength and do things to please you. But Father, help us to live a life of surrender, of repentance and of faith. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to move into a a place in our lives where we do not fear death. We do not fear losing everything because all that matters is to stand firm in the faith that we profess because you are strong, you are faithful, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. And for that, we are forever grateful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.